stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of Valerie, her guests, and callers. Now here's your host, Valerie Kirkgaard. I am your host. I am here. I'm delighted to be here. Um, they tell me that this show has the possibility of great radio, and I think after you've listened to a few more of our dialogues, you'll have to uh, look, look into the future and see how many of your friends you can invite to be here. We've got a really um, amazing combination of gentlemen here for you today. One of them is Jonathan Granoff. He's the president of the Global Security Institute, a thing I wouldn't want to be in charge of at this particular moment in time and space, Jonathan. Jonathan has helped put together, I think it's the sixth Nobel Laureate Conference that you've participated in, right? Yes, yes, the Nobel Laureates gather together in Rome every year. I think you went to one of them. Yeah, I did, and I really tried to figure out how to get to this one. This one is this year is on youth, and I think that that's a really important issue about what our youth are going to be doing here in the future and where we're leading them to. And um, personally, I'm a little horrified. Jonathan has been invited to speak with a lot of very interesting people, including all the Nobel laureates. <clears throat> he's um, he's spoken. He's done closing ceremonies for Deepak Chopra. He's had conversations with the Dalai Lama. I actually think I saw the back of your head in that one of the pictures. You and the Dalai Lama, but I recognize you from the back, Jonathan, also when you were talking with the Pope. So you've been involved in some pretty powerful conversations in the world, and if you want to check out his newsletter, you can go to globalsecurityinstitute.org, correct? Yes, that's fine. So um, that's what Jonathan's up to. He's, he's taken his time out of a very hectic special, special things that are going on today with all the different events that are happening in our world from conversations to the weaponization of space to um, should we take over? <laughs> they're not, Valerie, they're not conversations. They're deployments. And they're not, they're not dialogues. They're wars. And, and so, you know, people need to really grasp what is actually going on. And so there are places where there are conversations to communicate feelings, sentiments, worldviews, and so forth. And then there are the, then there's the use of language for the purpose of making things happen. And there are two really different modalities of the use of speech. So what we're going to do today is have a conversation. But what goes on, say, at the United Nations or in the halls of Congress or in the White House, those are not conversations. Those are plans to do things. Does, that ma- does it matter that we were voted down in the U.N.? Does that matter? I mean, will our country just go ahead and do, do what it wants to anyway with the present leadership? Well, that's that is the problem. Is that it? That our our country is being governed by people with an absolute ego mind mentality, which is uh, not able to engage in a conversation with the rest of the world. It, it's a dominance model of the pursuit of security. Imagine running, trying to run your household, where one <laughs> just tells everybody what to do. I wonder if these people have ever raised children, for goodness' sake. In theory, they're supposed to have. Well, I, what it is is they view the world in terms of us and them, and um, they have one set of rules for their people and another set of rules for other people. So, and and then the the supreme leader, our president, believes that he can do away with the processes of law, the processes of civilization where you don't torture people, 
the very the very definition of civilized behavior, which is to have judicial oversight on on uh, on the exercise of power, third party analysis of justice in, in human relations, that he believes he can be the decider for everybody. Well, these principles that, that are being thrown out, these are not being thrown out based on any kind of conversation. If there was a conversation, we wouldn't see the kind of records we're seeing at the United Nations where every country in the world but one, our country, wants to have a cooperative security regime in space to prevent weapons from being placed in space. That uh, in the last General Assembly, we were, we, we, we were almost the only country to vote to stop the testing of any more nuclear weapons. We did have one friend in our vote, and that was, of course, North Korea. Mm. Uh, so, but the American people seemed, and particularly the cultural creatives, seemed to be satisfied with engaging in conversations. I'm personally not satisfied with simply engaging in conversations. I think we have to start acting. I think we have to start organizing. I think we're in a critical moment in which decisions made will have huge consequences as to whether we will even have a future. And I think we don't have a crisis in consciousness. We have a crisis in conscience. I really get that. Conscience is what allows you to discriminate and say, this is right, this is wrong. War is wrong, peace is right. That's what conscience will tell you. Killing people is wrong. Killing innocent people is even worse. Putting the whole planet at risk with nuclear weapons is beyond the pale of human discourse. These things are, so conscience tells us that you don't hurt innocent people. Conscience tells us that you treat other people the way you want to be treated. And conscience would tell us as a nation that we should treat other nations the way we want to be treated. So we have this huge social movement of personal creativity and personal expression that has become perversely self-indulgent because it's denied the passion that grows out of an awakened conscience. Conscience is what warns us. That, that what we're doing is right or wrong. There is a difference between right and wrong. Oh, I appreciate what you're saying, and now I want to introduce Neil Moore. I spent the weekend with him in Sundance. His website is simplymusic.com, and when I read to you his foundation statement, I want you to put into it that we're, we are naturally peaceful unless we are threatened. And the particular way that our country has been run for quite a while, actually, even prior to the current administration, has been to manipulate people by fear. And what Neil is suggesting and what he spends his life creating is that what happens if we go into action from the place of security and our natural organic selves. And that's what Jonathan wants to call forth when he talks to you. This is what Neil is working on to actually answer Jonathan's call, because one of the um, comments about the cultural creatives, and I happen to be one of them, is that for eons and eons and eons of time, we have believed that if we just have good hearts, the whole world will transform, and you've heard um, Patty Cota Robles a lot on this show. She talks about the company of heaven. I believe that something has to occur that includes both visions, that they somehow there's a meeting place in the middle where belief becomes action and wrongness doesn't necessarily become right. It just becomes true. What's true? What is really totally best for humanity? So with that, I'm going to invite uh, Neil. And I'm, Neil, I'm going to read your foundation statement. Thanks, Val. 
simply music is based on the premise that all human beings are naturally musical. And I'm going to put in there peaceful and loving, naturally, when they're not threatened by something. Our vision, we foresee a world where participating in, experiencing, expressing music are the norm. Our organization, we are a pioneer and a world leader in music participation and entry-level music education. Our guiding principles, our primary purpose is to be of service to our customers. We conduct ourselves with honesty and integrity. Everything we do is with excellence. Our work environment fosters growth, respects diversity, and recognizes everyone's contribution. We treat our students, educators, staff, associate, and partners with honesty and respect. We conduct business with those who are honorable and who support our guiding principles. We build local and worldwide relationships that transform our communities. We recognize that being profitable is essential to fulfilling our vision. And I'll add this other one. I know you believe that war doesn't do anybody much good at all in the, in the long run. It just leaves a lot of broken bodies and empty coffers and broken families and um, desecrated space on the planet. So, Neil, you've heard what Jonathan's had to say so far. Where, where would you like to um, join in here? Well, uh, thanks for introducing me, Val. I appreciate that. And uh, thanks for the opportunity to spend some time with you, Jonathan. Thank uh, you. I appreciate what you had to say. Look, um, I think it's a really uh, a fantastic and intriguing uh, conversation. To ha- you know, How do we create a connect between what it is uh, that... Jonathan has to say, and what it is that I do, you know, a music education company. You know, just as a uh, as a moment of background, <clears throat> um, uh, I operate an international company. We uh, we teach a method of music that uh, I've developed over my lifetime. Has a uh, very very particular and very unique way of approaching uh, transforming people's self expression and their access to the natural musicality. And as an organisation, you know, we work in mainstream. Music learning. We have, you know, we're an international company. We have uh, locations, uh, you know, in uh, several countries around the world. And uh, you know, we also do a lot more, a lot more, and an increasing amount of work in special circumstance areas. You know, where we're dealing with uh, uh, students that have uh, autism, ADD, and ADHD, and uh, central auditory processing disorders. We work with blind students, you know, deaf students, and we're beginning to do more work in the areas that uh, deal with cognitive impairment, you know, Alzheimer's and all of those things that uh, deal with the dementia spectrum. Uh, it's, a, it's an extraordinary project. It is a wonderful project, and it is a world project. Clearly, this is a project that offers a, a new possibility uh, for the world. And, you know, at that point, I, I think that, you know, the question for me is, how do these conversations, what Jonathan has been saying, and what I have to say, how do they relate or converge or connect? I mean, what the heck do they have to do with one another? In, in my view, I actually think that the distance, uh, it, it's very little. There's very little distance from my point of view. And I can address it from my point of view. You know, not only from the point of view is there a common ground in the conversations, but let's see if we can just tease out a connection here. Well, let me uh, tell you a little book. Have you ever read um, Dancing in the No-Fly Zone by Hadani Ditmars? No, I haven't. Oh, one of the interesting things that they talk about in that book is that during the time when their countries were being ravaged and torn apart, that the way they maintained themselves was by creating little capsules of people that sang and danced for each other. Right. That, no. that, was, that was part of how people managed to stay in the game. Right. You know, the, the thing about it is, if, if I can just 
sort of establish a platform and see if we can build upon that and then create a tie-in. I mean, you know, I'm going to... If we pose the question, look, if, if humans are spiritual beings, if that's the bottom line, if humans are spiritual beings, then I'm going to suggest that at the very next layer, the very next level, you know, we're musical beings. I'm saying that our musicality underscores everything that we do, all of that whom we are. It is the essence of being's ability to express itself in the design and in the machine of human being. You know, there, there are some, some societies... Um, you know, often often underdeveloped nations where this musical being dimension of who they are is so real, where music is so intrinsically woven into their culture that they're actually quite oblivious to it. It's just who they are. That state of being musical encompasses absolutely everybody in the culture. And, you know, in, in many instances, there's no distinction, for example, between singing and dancing and no words to separate the two. It's just who they are, you know, oftentimes, you know, like, uh, you know, nations, you know, surrounding the equator, you know, I mean, and, and, and maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe the equator is, you know, it equates, it equals, maybe it's, you know, the great equaliser here, but, you know, oftentimes we find that industrial societies, maybe first and second world nations, the, where the social and economical and, and cultural infrastructure are built on a basis of quantification, where everything is measured and analysed and theories are constructed and, and frameworks and systems are built on those theories. In, in these, you know, what I'll call knowledge-based societies, you know, where the world is understood and accessed via theories and tangible knowledge of the subject, you know, what happens to humans' musicality is that music gets put into that same domain. It gets put into the same paradigm. And, you know, as a result of that, you know, music and, you know, and the role of music, it's, it's emerged in the same manner where it has become embedded in a scientific paradigm. Where well, I think we've got music in the current culture. I think it's marching music. You know, there's a, what, what is the sound of war? What is the sound of suppression or of domination? It, it, it has its own music to it, too. So maybe we need to talk about changing the tone. How do we take the situation? How do you wake up in the morning, Jonathan, and, and, and manage to, to have these, you know, to inspire people and talk to people and uh, different leaders and things of that nature with all that responsibility? You're the Global Security Institute. Well... There shouldn't be any distance between the pursuit of personal security within oneself, which means harmonizing with the natural world, of course. And the natural world is always in a state of music. Uh, you know, the, you, you, I mean, not to be trite, but I wake up hearing birds sing. Mm. Um, and the earth, uh, the earth has rhythms and songs, and the ocean, the ocean's in a continual state of rhythmic expression. So all of the natural world is in a state of expression. And I would say that the great tuning apparatus, the most important instrument in any orchestra, is the tuning fork. And the human being has a unique global or cosmic function of, par of being co-creator and being the tuning fork in creation. And when the human being is out of tune, he becomes a very dangerous creature capable of throwing the natural order out of kilter. And that's where we're seeing climate change. That's because greed has thrown us out of kilter. And war is the total discordance of the human spirit. And people who spend time attuning themselves 
to themselves because we are the natural world. We're not like, there's no environment, something outside of us. Our bodies are one with the air. We breathe the trees, and likewise, we are the water. We, we are the earth. Um, when, you're, when, you're, when your soul departs the body, the earth literally takes the body back. That is what we are. And so if you're out of tune with yourself, you're, if you're discordant with yourself, it stands to reason that you're going to be discordant with your social environment. So I think music, uh, as, uh, when the, and the kind of music that Neil is talking about, which is self-learning how to make music, means tuning yourself into the music within yourself. That's the first thing to make music. You have to tune yourself to the music within yourself. That's a really important, that's a really, really important uh, factor. And Val, I wouldn't say that our culture is dominated by martial music like, you know, John Philip Sousa. Oh, no, not that fun. No, but what we are dominated with is music that does not beautify, ennoble, inspire, and uplift people. It's music of, of triviality. It's mu- and it's also music that doesn't empower people to engage in making music. It's consumer music. It's canned music. So what Neil is doing is letting people know that everyone can make music. Everyone has music within themselves. There's a, but, but the most important music is to attune yourself to the, to the attunement of the note your heart is playing in any given moment. And for me to work on peace and not be at peace would be completely crazy. The, the only way to peace is through peace. So the first instrument that I have to tune when I get up in the morning is my own heart. If my heart is out of is out of sync, then everything that manifests from me will be out of sync. You have a process that you use for doing that. I, I, that's what I was coming to. I think the first note you have to see is conscience. What conscience deals with balance, the scales of balance. How much attention are you paying? Are you paying to your ego? How much attention are you paying to your vanity? How much are you, attention are you paying to love and compassion and caring? How much are you giving to your family, to your community, to the community of humanity, to the community of life? And each of these things has to be attended to. And as you start attending to each of these things and seeing the beauty and majesty of being interconnected to all of these dimensions, the consciousness that conscience directs. It's transformative. So the first thing a person has to do is say, where am I? Where am I at? What's really the qualities in my heart? Actually going through that sifting and contemplative practice of, of looking at what kind of qualities you have in your heart is powerful and transformative. So the first thing is to put some time aside in prayer, contemplation, meditation, quiet, whatever, solitude, whatever you want to call it, and to attune yourself to where you're actually at to reflect on your inner state. That's the very first step. And if, you're, and if, your heart, if, the, if, you, if your heart has love, you'll care about other people. You'll care about it. In, the wellness movement is all focused on wellness, but I think we have to focus on the other attribute of God, which is justice. That's a, that's a, for a, be a full human being, you have to want for others what you want for yourself. So you, you, you see the people that are suffering from war, from deprivation, from oppression. They're part of your family. And that kind of action that comes from compassion, that's healthy, never from anger. No, I I get it. I get it. Now, um, what I'm thinking about, you know, one of the things we were talking about before the show is that the cultural creatives, which we are a part of, um, as a group, tend to be um, contemplative. 
rather than in action. So I'm calling this particular show a call to action. For, the, for those of you who are cultural creatives, you know the issues. We've, we've gone through the issues of conscience. We've gone through the issues of expression. And now it's time to take action and uh, take, take back our world. Now, you've given some really good ideas about taking back your own world in the morning. From that, where do people go into the community? Because I think that the amount of data that we're receiving, Jonathan, is so overwhelming in a sense. I guess you're going to suggest they follow their heart? No, not just their heart alone, but you need to get in. You need to follow. Of course, your heart has to be attuned. But, uh, uh, and, and, there's, and there's different levels of the heart, you see. I mean, there's the emotional heart, which can also be very connected with the passions and the senses and usually sort of follows the ego and the, and the, and the eye. But real love reaches out. Real love connects. And real love... Uh, feels the suffering of others as one's own, but right and right now the the political process or the process of the space between us needs healing. So people need to get information. They need to learn uh, facts. You know how is the world being ordered right now, and what's being done as Americans in our name? And I think any sensitive person who sees this is going to then engage. In, uh, in this political process right now. We've allowed the most zealous, the most ego-minded people to take over our political, our political discourse and our political actions. And, of course, the core problem is the ego-selfish mind. But, uh, but right now we have, uh, you know, it's there, the patient is bleeding in the emergency room, <laughs> really, and you can't just approach it holistically. You've got to stop the bleeding. So 70% of the fishing stocks in the planet are, are, in, are at risk of being overfished. And we don't know what the tipping point is for the ocean. I'll just take one example. And we know that you cannot deal with the ocean without a global regime. And you can't have a global regime to protect the oceans if you tear down the United Nations system. So what we have now is political leadership thinking locally and acting globally. We have a global footprint, like it or not. The clothes we're wearing have probably been financed in one country, built in another, and shipped to a third. We live in a global village. So we have a global responsibility toward poverty. And the third issue is every single life on the planet is threatened with nuclear weapons. And we're going to wars called counter-proliferation wars. The war in Iraq was driven by a nuclear, uh, an alleged, a lie, an alleged nuclear danger. But that's what got people to give up their sons and daughters and national and national economic stability over that. And some of us say, no, 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 it's not nuclear weapons in the hands of bad people. It's nuclear weapons themselves are the problem. So pick an issue. Pick it, pick, be it human poverty that's unnecessary, protecting the sacred environment, or getting rid of weapons of mass destruction, and engage. That's great. Let's find out what Neil has to say here. You know, really Neil. Thing. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I really appreciate uh, Jonathan's input here. And, you know, the... The, the focus for uh, for us and you know what it is that you know we're looking at is that that uh, you know when we're talking about who who is it that we are um, and in the arena of music you know what what happens to a nation of people who are not self-expressed you know when we live in cultures where music has emerged and has become embedded in a scientific paradigm where it's theorized, quantified, it's taught you know, mathematically and it's taught as technique, whilst it is clear 
that music can be explained scientifically. It doesn't belong in science. It belongs in an ontological or maybe a spiritual or you know the domain of the essence of human being. And what happens? What ultimately, across the board, if we are fundamentally, profoundly musical, what does it result in when you have nations of people who are not expressed in this area? What's the impact on peace? Well, let me it's very interesting that you should say that. Uh, did you read the Ber- I think it was in Berlin where they played classical music in the streets? Yes. Are you, do you know what I'm talking about? Do, yeah. I'm sorry, did, did you yes. say? I did say yes. I, I, Would I, you I, tell them about what happened when they played I'm actually classical sure. I'm music? I'm aware of it, but I don't know the details. But, but the relevance of it is that, you know, or the tie-in that I see is what is the impact on peace, you know, inner and outer, local and global, human and humanity. And I don't know, in, in my arena, I don't believe that we've got an adequate tool to measure the cost of cultures of people who are not musically self-expressed. Yeah, no one ability Germ- to measure the psychological and the spiritual impact on conscience and consciousness. No ability to measure, measure the benefit and the outcomes, the basic outcome of transforming individuals and the world's self-expression. If music's at the core of being human, and, and there is no immediate natural means of expressing this profoundly, what's the cost of living in this self, you know, like the, it's a device, sort of a pressure cooker. And I, I really see that this is where, uh, you know, this is a world conversation. You know, that first and foremost, we, you know, we're an advocacy group. We're saying, one, that all human beings are profoundly musical. We can transform our relationship to ourselves, our humanity, the, you know, the experience and the expression of self through music that there's a, a means available that can return us you know, and reconnect us with this profound musicality and, you know, and immediately allow us to experience this fundamental musicianship, that we can create and expand this conversation so large that it creates a world where expression and experience and participation in music are the norm, and can or how do we transform humanity, our humanity and humanity as a whole, as a result? And maybe it's here where they, you know, the... the where the conversations can link, where there's a tie-in between the two. There, well, there are lots of them. There, there have been many studies. I was a child development major in, in, uh, in college, and in cognitive development in particular. Lots of studies of the uh, intellectual uh, uh, growth of children who were exposed to music early on, yeah. and that it's dramatically amplified when they themselves learn that they produce music. Yes. So, I mean, there is a lot of statistical validation of your theories uh, in, in many levels, but I, I like the ontological one that you proposed, which, which I think the, I was just, I'm a member of the World Wisdom Council, and we had a meeting recently in, at, the, uh, at the Monterey Forum, where, where Mexico is trying to generate a, a cultural renaissance there, or maybe it's the birth of a culture. In any case, there was a woman at, at this from uh, Australia, an Aborigines woman, and she was talking about how the, the culture that she comes from is about 60,000 years old. Yes. And they actually believe that the human being has to participate with the divine in helping to sing creation into being. Yes. That the, that the physical world is, as it were, an expression of a divine song that the human community participates in. Yes. Obviously, it's a metaphor, but they do actually sing. They have maps of singing from one place to another. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this idea of being connected to the natural world through music is, is, is found in many um, sustainable societies, societies that have 
lasted for thousands of years. Our problem right now is our definition of our relationship to the natural world is dominance, whereas music, to make music with another person or to make music, to, to make I like Paul Winter who makes music with other species, which is really cool. But to make music with another person, you can't dominate. You have to listen That's right. while you play. That's right. And if we can take on the attitude toward one another of listening, which is called dialogue, listening while we play, obviously our human relations will improve. So if you know if you know any like like jazz musicians or musicians who do, you know who play by listening, they're usually you know really gentle people yeah. because they're sensitive. Yeah. And uh, so I, I mean, I don't see any. Uh, uh, I see I, I see the need to create a culture of peace and overcome the cult of violence. And one of the aspects of the cult of violence is our attitude toward our, our role with the natural world. The musical concept of harmony, for me, is exactly the analogy that we need to emphasize, to teach people how to be harmonious with one another, to teach people how to be harmonious with the natural world. And there's probably no better vehicle for teaching listening as a road to harmony than music. So, I mean, I think music is really, uh, is, I mean, the idea, however, the idea that music alone can bring about the change that we need to see, I don't think that's true. But the idea that music can be a vehicle to promote um, peace, harmony, beauty, well, that that's self-evident. Hey, guys, this is a great time. We're going to take a little break here. You're listening to Waking Up in America. This is Dr. Val Kirkgaard with Jonathan Granoff of the Global Security Institute and Neil Moore of simplymusic.com having a very interesting dialogue. We want to thank our sponsors, Roberto's Bungalows in San Francisco, Nayarit, Mexico. Steve and Diana have five beautiful little bungalows waiting for you to come and visit. This is charming old Mexico. They're great innkeepers, and at night you can go down and visit the beach and watch the sunset. We all gather down there. It's a magical little town that's about makes you feel like the simplicity of life about 50 years ago, and it's an ex- exquisite setting. The telephone number there to talk to Steve and Diana or to make reservations is 971-239-4120. That's 971-239-4120. Uh, next, I'd like to actually invite you to go to my website, which is Dr. Valerie, and Dr. is all spelled out, and so is Valerie, which is V-A-L-E-R-I-E, Dot com and check out the breath process that I've created for actually clearing the electromagnetic field of the body and the body itself of past memories. Also, um, you'll be able to, if you call me at 310-455-8623, I'll tell you about Monabi, the wonderful acai berry from the Amazon basin. I've been using this product for about three months now. And I'd have to tell you that a lot of my physical things that were bothering me, I'm 67, have gone away. And I have endurance that I haven't had for about 25 or 26 years. And I'd be happy to tell you more about that. You can call 310-455-8623. Also, I direct you to the coningcompany.com, C-O-N-I-N-G-C-O-M-P-A-N-Y.com. We've actually been manufacturing ear cones, which are a 5,000-year-old process for relieving neck and shoulder tension and 
cleaning the lymphatic system, helping out with the sinuses. Quite an interesting ancient old process, and one of the reasons it's been around so long is it works. So check out the Coning Company. Visit our radio website at wakingupinamerica.com. Check out our sponsors. We've got past shows that you can play down for yourself. Just download them. And we also invite you to sign up for our drawing, our free drawing, for our energy-efficient electric light bulbs. We give out a set of them every month. We've been talking about a lot of interesting things on the program. And the figures I remember from the German community that played plays, still plays classical music, was that they actually had a 40% decrease in violent crimes and robberies and breaks in and things of that nature in the period of a year. And I've noticed that one of the things that happens in the schools that we've decided that there's enough, there's, I can't remember, I think it's $198 billion more that's been asked for for this war, and yet we're told that we can't afford music and art in the schools anymore. And when people are put into the arena of music and art, and they're given physical education, and they have healthy minds and healthy bodies, and they're not being fed food that is like, it's almost like a God Valium or something of that nature. It makes us sluggish. And uh, I saw an article called The Dumbing Down of America, and then it was listing the different foods that we consume and what happens to us. Our body weights have gone up significantly over the last 20 years. We've got more children that are overweight. So we've got sluggish, overweight children that are being brought up in an arena that lacks art and music, and then we're, they're being put into a military that now calls them warriors, men and women both, and they're so, our warriors are supposed to go out and we're supposed to bring down the infidels. I can't imagine how much terrific an idea this must be for the Middle Eastern to hear that they have like no religion or no spirituality, spirituality of their own, that the whole idea here, there's Mikey Weinstein, who was on last week, was talking about a game that was being sent to our soldiers, and they were going to be encouraged in this game to kill the infidels and or, what should I say here, convert them to Christianity. Now, I happen to, I used to call myself Christian to some degree. I'd have to call myself more spiritual, but this thing that's being called Christianity I want no part of. So I'm aching for art and music back in the schools because to me it, it gives us something higher to reach for. So back to you guys. Well, um, you know, when you go to this issue of the, the, uh, the religious fanaticism within our military, it's very frightening. Uh, there's no doubt about it. There's, there, these people with, uh, what are they, the rapture people are, are trying to, you know, get these 17, 18-year-old poor kids and tell them that they don't need to worry about what they might do to other human beings because if they have Jesus in their heart, they'll be brought up in a rapture and they won't be responsible. Well, that's just, that's just horrible. I mean, it's like, it's like Christianity according to the Inquisition. Um, but I'd like to come back and ask how, uh, how my brother teaches people, what techniques has he discovered that help people get in touch with their own musicality um, to, to help them uh, be attuned to one another and, and to their own, uh, their own essence. Now, Neil, I asked you about how fast people could learn to play the piano, and, and I've asked everybody since you said. Yeah. And they've all gone years. Yeah. And what did you tell me? Oh, immediately. You know, you start today, you're playing tomorrow. It's just how it works. 
How does it work, Neil? How do you well, do it? Well, look, the, this program is the uh, codification of the way that I experienced music as a very young child. My relationship to, uh, to, to music and my uh, physical relationship and connectedness to music was there with me before I even really have... Um, you know, a developed sort of a memory of myself. I, as a very young child, I hear music and I see two and three dimensional shapes. And, uh, you know, even though I, you know, had piano lessons as a, as a young kid and went through, uh, you know, had a, a very accomplished teacher and was expected to learn, uh, you know, the more scientific math based or what I call reading based approach where your ability to play is based entirely on your ability to read. For me, uh, I could hear and see shapes and I could see those shapes laid out on the piano and I could actually physically replicate those shapes and developed a, a, you know, a fairly comprehensive ability to play. And um, I uh, actually I always thought that I was a phony with regards to that. You know, everyone else was learning you know, the more traditional approach and uh, I sort of hid the way that I learned music from people and never really talked about it much because I just felt like I was a fraud, that I, I didn't understand how to read music. I never learned to read music until I was in my 30s. And yet, uh, you know, it's been one of those uh, private, uh, personal relationships that I've had, you know, with the instrument, um, you know, all my life. And I discovered as an adult um, that I had the ability to be able to explain these concepts in a way that people could see them. And we really had an ability to sort of bypass the psychology. You know, when you're looking at music as a math, and it's so, you know, let's just say left brain, it's so... Uh, you know, so uh, mathematical and scientific and theorized, you know, to try to get to one's natural musicality through the pathway of thinking and science is about as assured a way of causing a natural disconnect as one could imagine. To me, that would be akin to insisting that all infants learned how to read and spell as a means of learning how to speak. It's just sort of a preposterous uh, suggestion. And so what happens with this program is that, you know, I, I describe this not as a reading-based program, which is the sort of the, 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 the pervasive approach in, um, you know, in uh, modern society or any country where piano is taught. This, by uh, design, is what I would call a playing-based methodology, and it's designed to immediately connect people to the instrument in the same domain and with the same uh, degree of ease and using the same learning paths by which we learn how to, you know, tie up our shoes and, and uh, you know, brush our teeth. And it's a learning by doing. And when you actually can take the, the mathematical component out of it and work in the arena of, um, you know, shapes and, and the physical connectedness, it transforms the learning experience. You know, the mind is a pattern-seeking device uh, by design. And this program, by design, allows the brain and the body and the spirituality of music to actually express themselves in a synergistic manner. It's a completely different experience. Now, you know, although that's all in the background, the experience for, for students is that it's just like, you know, sitting down and having a piano lesson, for example. But, you know, the difference, of course, is that you sit down with this pro uh, program and you're immediately playing songs and you're building a repertoire and a comprehensive repertoire of all sorts of music. And, um, you know, it's a very profound experience, and it really has come about as a later discovery to see that not only does this transform the music learning program, the whole process, uh, you know, not only does this program uh, transform that, um, and not only does it produce results that are not just an improvement on what's traditionally been available, but it actually, uh, you know, it produces an outcome that 
you know, results that are a geometric leap beyond what we've even known is possible. Can you do this? Could you do something like this, like a classroom on the Internet? Would that be possible? You know, I don't know. We're, we're still in this fantastic discovery stage. You know, it's, it's really come about more recently that we've started to see, wow, you know, we're having inroad uh, into these areas, like I said, with, um, you know, diagnosed learning difficulties and autism and the stuff that we're just beginning to, uh, you know, to research now with Alzheimer's and cognitive impairment. And it's really becoming this thing where we're seeing in the, you know, inner city school environment where kids that are struggling, uh, learning with traditional modes and modalities and methodologies, this is a program that seems to laser in and profoundly transform not only the learning experience, but people's self-expression. Have you talked with Stephen Halpern? I haven't, actually, no. You know, I think that would be a really interesting guy for you to connect with. Yeah, I had him on the radio like 15 years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. But I was deeply moved at where he was using music in the hospitals and right. schools and such. Right. And he's been doing it for years. I hope he's still alive. I right. think he is. The hospitals during the Ottoman Empire used to have musical uh, adjuncts to them because music, of course, has a tremendous healing effect on people. Yes. Well, you know, I, and that's where I think when you're saying this healing effect, you know, and that's where I say that this, you know, this is a world conversation, you know, and I, I assert that, that there are, even though this can be related to on an individual level and can be embraced on an individual level, when we grasp living practices that, you know, that foster and, you know, nurture and develop our humanity, we are, we are embracing a, a world experience. And, you know, I, I'd suggest that we've lost, we've lost our connectedness to this innate and deepest calling to be expressed musically. And, you know, what, you about, know, what about that big concert that they had, Live 8, where you know, they had like 2 billion people watching the music? World audiences, yeah. And I want to shift that, Jonathan, from, from observation to experience and participation. Yeah, and that's expression. what I like. I agree with you. That's the key, is moving from a culture that's based on spectacle to a culture that's based on engagement and sharing. And so what's fascinating for us is that, you know, it's almost like we have to go into, I don't want to say battle because it isn't the word, but we need to go into uh, and create a new dance with, re- with relationship to the mind. Because, you know, if we look at it, the, you know, the design of the mind is going to, it's going to pull towards distinguishing separation and differences, differences in people, differences in cultures, differences in belief systems. And clearly the mind has mastery in that area of distinguishing separation and differences. But in many respects, the mind is quite weak in knowing what to do with that. And, you know, from our point of view, uh, reconnecting ourselves to this profound sense of musicality in one person's life, then another's, and expanding this to a family, sharing this with the community, manifesting this through a culture, to me, seems like it would create a very different world. And, you know, I see that this has the capacity in this sharing you know, in being deep, deeply self-expressed, that it actually allows us a pathway to foster intrigue in cultural differences, but yet not be threatened because it's speaking to our souls, not our minds. And that's a very important distinction. So, you know, I, I, I can only see this program as contributing to a reconnection with the sameness of all people. You know, what is it that we all share? What is fundamental to us all? And, you know, for me... You know, it, it's the expression not of the language of words, but, you know, which I think in many respects is the language of, you know, like a, a human cultural separator, but it's the language of vibration. It's the language of music. It's the language of the very fabric of the universe, outer and inner space. 
It, you know, it literally is the expression of the substance that we are made of. So many people are afraid to experiment with their own musicality out of a sense of shame that they won't be able to hit the right note, yes. or they'll be embarrassed. And um, that's why if you get them young enough and people get a sense of empowerment, uh, you know, it's, it's very, very healing for them. Um, but I think one of the problems is that in, in our society, shame is such a very powerful manipulative tool. When you look at how the right wing is, has taken over America, the extent to which uh, the, the, their their talk shows are dominated by shaming shaming the guys, the people that call in who might differ from the the announcer, or the attempt to shame those who would vote differently than what they want them to do, or even the people that are in office, Jonathan, and get fired for having a different opinion. Well, that's different. They get fired. Firing doesn't necessarily shame you. Shaming is shaming is manipulating through emotions. Firing. Oh, gotcha. You know, we're talking about the psychological ploys, so that a person who is um, who says, "Well, let's take Iran." Iran this is a very good example. Iran is sixty uh, percent uh, of their population is under thirty years of age. Over fifty-three percent of their universities have women in them. It's a country where where culturally time is definitely on our side. Where there are massive parts of their population want to integrate into the modern world, but they're ruled by a, 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 a bunch of thieves dressed up in clerical robes. And But the thieves thrive on fear. They thrive on a narrative that the rest of the world wants to get them. And that's how they're able to run a police state. Whereas what, what our leadership is doing, instead of reaching out and, uh, and, and, and engaging with, with, with the people of Iran, we're pushing them into the camp of their worst, most fearful uh, people. And any American politician, even a war hero like Chuck Hagel, for example, who is saying, no, we have to engage, we have to have parliamentary exchanges, we have to have citizens' exchanges, they're, they're, they're threatened with being uh, accused of being soft on terrorism, that, you know, that everybody who disagrees with, 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 with our administration and anybody who might disagree is accused of being soft on terrorism. Now, when we see another country do it, like Pakistan right now, the, the president of Pakistan is using the same arguments, it, is, it looks absurd to us because we know it's absurd. But when our president does it, nobody laughs at him. I want to take a break here actually right now, so perhaps that was the message. We want to thank Stardust for a clean and effective mailing list. You can talk to Raw and tell him that you were sent by Waking Up in America. He'll give you a special special price if you buy more than one mailing. Once again, that's Stardubs with they got about 350,000 people that are waiting for high-quality emails, and he'll even coach you on how to do it. His telephone number is 904-460-8083. I've used him for a number of my projects and businesses, and I've been very pleased with the results. So we also want to thank ConingCompany.com, 310-459-4824. Once again, that's 310-459-4824. That's where you can find out about the ancient art of ear coning. Please feel free to check it out, and if you have any questions, call that number again. I also want to give you Jonathan Granoff and the Global Security Institute. It's gs.org. 
once again, gsinstitute.org and simplymusic.com, which is Neil's, uh-huh. which is Neil's foundation, is simplymusic.com. And there you go. Back to you guys. The, um, <clears throat> you know, the thing that, that, that I really appreciate, uh, I really appreciate your commitment to people and to life, Jonathan. And, uh, you know, for me, you know, I, I'm a stand for anything that fosters the sameness between people, you know, and anything that fosters the love of humanity. You know, you know for me, anything that fosters humanity fosters aliveness, you know, and anything that fosters aliveness fosters love. And um, when I look at the conversation that, uh, you know, we're sharing in today, um, you know, I see that... Uh, my focus is on what can I contribute to a connected, contributive world in this arena. In this arena that I am most connected to is, you know, which is in the arena of self-expression and experience and the experience of one's humanity in the arena of music. Um, and for me, you know, sustainability and uh, cooperative. Uh, contributive existence is in direct proportion to the expression of the self. Um, you know, I say that it's it's all about conscience, it's all about consciousness, and ultimately it's all about peace. Um, you know, on an individual level, clearly for me it's all about music, but on the on the level of humanity, uh, more importantly, it's more about love. You know. Well. Hey, <laughs> are you there, Jonathan? I think we lost him. This has been an exciting time, hasn't it, Neil? I'm sure he'll be found. I'm sure he'll be found, too. <laughs> Jonathan can't get too far lost, and you can find him at the Global Security Institute. And um, you can also check out our website at wakingupinamerica.com and do sign up for our electric bulbs. They're very cool, and they save major amounts of energy. Um, John Kerry, when I heard him speak, said that if actually... Uh, with his wife, Teresa, uh, that if each one of us changed our electric light bulbs in our homes, that we would make a significant different on, difference on energy. So how about that? Um, well, we've got a few minutes left in the show here. Uh, I like where Jonathan was going. I like the fact that he wants us to get up off our butts. Uh, he didn't exactly say that on the show, did he, Neil? Well, but he implied it. You know, he, what he's saying is that you know we need to stand and move forward. <laughs> is that is that an army term? <laughs> That's a human term. It's what? It's a human term. A human term, stand and report. Stand and move forward. Yeah, stand and move forward. And what does that look like in your life? That's the question. You know, for, well, some, for me, it's you know, it's the it's the expansion for me. It's the expansion of you know who we are as people. It's the expansion of what does it take to transform uh, an individual and a, a families and a communities and a, cult, a culture's access to self-expression. And what does that translate into? How does the what? world look? You uh, keep talking, and I'm going to go see if I can pick up Jonathan again. Okay? Absolutely. And I'll be right back. And you just, I'm sure you can handle. <laughs> giving us some more insights, and I'll listen to the tape afterwards and find out what brilliance you put forth. Yeah, I'll be right back. Now, so the uh, the opportunity for us, you know, I, I, I look at uh, Jonathan and what he shared today and the arena of uh, his concern 
for humanity and the global condition and the, the threats and the complexities that we face. And in many respects, you know, as I said when I started this conversation, I'm looking at how is it that we fit in? What's the correlation between uh, our musicality? What's the correlation between... Uh, I just picked him up in a taxi, Neil, and I got him. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be down to get you in a taxi. a degree of improvisation here, Jonathan, and I'm you know, trying to uh, just talk about you know, what is it that you know, I see as the bigger picture and how a connection might be drawn. And, you know, I was saying a little earlier that uh, even though for me at an individual level it's all about music, ultimately this uh, is, you know, about conscience and consciousness and about uh, peace and even more so about love, you know? Sure. I mean, the thing is that you were talking about the body and creation being vibrational. And, you know, people can, can understand that. They can understand that, like, by their own breathing, like when you breathe when you're angry, how differently you breathe than when you breathe when you're at peace. The whole the whole body is a vibrating organism, and we just uh, spend so little time attuning to ourselves. But I think this issue of of, of musicality and shame that um, that people are embarrassed, you know, uh, if you go to a village in Africa, and I have been to villages in there. Everybody feels that they have a right and an ability to express themselves in song. No one's ashamed to sing. Whereas, you know, you go to an American household and say, let's sing a song. People are like, oh, gosh, I'm going to hit the wrong note. I'm going to be so embarrassed. And it's very interesting. Well, if you take a risk, Jonathan, and you sing a little off-key, everybody makes sure that you know you're singing off-key, and that's not the issue. Not the issue. So when we see this idea that Neil's putting forward that it's much more important for people to get in touch with their capacity to make music, to to to, to, to hit a, hit to hit hit a note that they that they'd rather get a better note. It's not that wrong note. It's a better note. There's a more harmonious note, and you learn it by doing it. That to me is just a wonderful way of teaching people not just about music, but about you know tuning to themselves. Neil, have you... We've got one minute left in the show, guys. Well, I just wonder, what does he think of the Suzuki method? Look, you know, the Suzuki method is, uh, has uh, an admirable reputation, and it's, it's a different approach to ours. It, uh, it delays music reading as we do. It approaches uh, music from an oral relationship as well as de- de- developing the physical distinctions that are needed to elevate to adult concert-level performance. I'm... My approach is I'm looking to open the floodgates and give uh, cultures uh, access to musical self-expression at a level that has never been available for. This is a program for the masses. It's a program for anybody and everybody who, if they listen quietly enough, ultimately knows that they are profoundly musical. And this is a program that immediately bypasses the psychology of whether you believe you are or not. It dispels the myths that it takes a long time, that you've got to have a special talent or ability or a gift, none of which stands up to true rationale and logic. This just gets to the heart of your humanity and who people are, and it is about fostering the possibility of everybody having music as a lifelong companion. When the word... And there, hey, you guys, the program's over. <laughs> this program has been produced by Kirkguard Media, Incorporated. Our radio partners, com, Stardoves, Dr. Valerie, and check out our website, sign up for our contest, and we thank our executive producer, Nathan Jett. 
We thank Dr. James Murphy and Memoriam for helping get this program restarted. We thank all the folks at Voice America and Motivox for the work that they do in producing our cards and our shows. We thank today's guests, Jonathan Granoff and Neil Moore, our Chief Technical Officer, Pete Laubach, our Webmaster, Jack Abicotts, and to Jeff Spinard and the team at Voice America. Just thank you so much for making this possible. And remember, you've all got something you can do, whether it's to put a nice piece of music on and start your day with that rather than the alarm clock rattling in your ears, or perhaps it's that you go to the school meeting, or perhaps you create a call-up Neil or Jonathan and you create a group that people can actually meet in. You don't have to have that classroom in the school over, building. Or take over a political party. There you go. Take, I like that one, Jonathan. Or take over a political party. What do you want to take off? You got you got thirty seconds, Neil. What's the last thing? The last thing for me is that look. Here's the bottom line. My message is that absolutely all human beings are profoundly musical, and we have no idea of what would happen when we it. produce. We're the off the air. <laughs> <laughs> We're off the air. We thank you guys so much for being a part of this. Thank you for joining us today for Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard. Waking Up in America can be heard live every Wednesday, 12 p.m. Pacific Time on voiceamerica.com and Valerie welcomes all emails at heavenincorporated.com.